Well, good morning. Howdy. There we go. Awesome. Very cool. So for those of you that do not know who I am, my name is Benjamin Pinkerton and graduated from A&M. And I went and started working with crew, specifically with the Corps of Cadets here. And the year after, I get a call from the one and only Matt Morton. And he talks to me about coming on this new team called Grace Bible Church Creekside. And so I was able to come on and work with youth and Club 56 for two years. Now me and my wife have moved out to Dallas where I'm at seminary and uh, looking to go full-time ministry. And so it's an awesome privilege to be back here with you guys. This was the place, Grace Bible Church. I remember when that first day when I was in the Corps, uh, that weekend I actually went to a college ministry service and I heard Matt Morton, who was the college pastor at the time, uh, preach. And I was like, I like this guy. Like he's gonna, he's gonna, me and him are gonna be tight. And that's exactly what happened for years later. So uh, just, just a privilege to be here with you guys. Uh, Grace has been a home for me, my wife, Kara. It's a place that we really grew in our community and also in our knowledge of the scriptures and most importantly, how to be faithful followers of Christ uh, in community. And so such a joy. So as I've alluded to, uh, when I did crew military, the reason it was very strategic because I had done the Corps of Cadets at a and I just graduated and I said, God, where do you want me to go next? And so it seemed obvious, okay, why don't I just continue to pour out into the Corps where I just finished? But what you got to know about me uh, was I was a big surprise for most people when I went into the Corps because in high school, this is what I look like, Right? Long hair, don't care, wore about six, te- like six shirts at a time. You can notice that. Uh, yeah, so that was me. I was, not, uh, I was not a guy that cared about structure. I was a spont- spontaneous guy. <laughs> Love you too, buddy. So spontaneous guy. I loved just uh, go with the flow, late nights, late mornings, not the most disciplined. Uh, I won class clown of my high school, um, and it was a big school. So when I told my friends, hey, I'm going to go into the Corps of Cadets today, and they were like, you're kidding me. Like, you will not survive it. And I was like, challenge accepted, right? So I'm going to jump in. And I talked my best friend to, to do the core with me. And of course, he was like the epitome of like the perfect cadet, flew under the radar, did everything perfect. And I was just like, ah, oh, Fish Pinkerton screwed up again. Like, he's awful and he never listens. And so that was kind of me. And I had to struggle bust through it for, for four years. Uh, the reason I tell you that is whenever I joined the core, I had a pretty big transformation, Right? I went from looking like this uh, wannabe American Eagle model, I guess, to this, uh, this guy, right? All my hair shaved off. Uh, so for those of you that don't know a lot about the Corps, um, obviously a reserved officer or training Corps, they're trying to produce leaders that will go into the military. And when they say, hey, we want you to be a cadet in the Corps and we want to send you out and be an officer over many men and women serving in the armed forces, there's things that we want you to graduate from here with, specific characteristics and traits and skills that you will have so that you will excel and keep your people safe moving forward on mission. And so there was many different characteristics, but there was specific defining characteristics that everything that we did in the core was circling around specific things. And so one of those things, attention to detail. 
your uniform, every single piece. I remember we'd put like these little metal pieces on our uniform and we would have to do like inches, like pull out a ruler and they would come by and measure your uniform and make sure every piece was exactly lined up. It was parallel, perpendicular, all these pieces, very attention to detail. The next thing they wanted to train you is, hey, how do you respond in stressful situations. And the best way to do that is to put you in a lot of stressful situations and see how you survive. And that's kind of what we did. So freshman year, you were marked physically by the five finger white wall. You notice my hair, very, very short with no hair on the sides. That's exactly how I looked uh, for my sister's wedding. So I'm forever enshrined on my family's walls with that haircut. Thank you, core, right? And so five finger white walls, you also go into the court and you lose all the privileges that you thought you had in life. And one of those privileges is you get a first name. Well, in the core as a freshman, you don't get a first name. You get the name Fish, right? And they say that because guess what your buddy's name is? It's also Fish, right? So I was Fish Pinkerton, right? You don't have a first name. You're not special. You're Fish Pinkerton like all your other buddies. The next year you become a sophomore, you become the direct leader. So I want to train specifically and exemplify for you what it looks like to follow on this path of obedience in the Corps of Cadets. So they would have specific uniform pieces. You can tell the sophomore by that black biter on their, on their hat, we call them biters, right? So junior year turns into a white biter. Senior year, they get the senior boots, very famous. They get all these pieces. There's distinguishing characteristics of each year with specific roles and responsibilities. Now, why would I tell you this big story about the core besides being here in Aggieland? Because there were defining characteristics of cadets. And when you finish the program, they said, throughout this journey, we want you to be someone specific and look like someone specific so that you can excel. And my question for us today, what is the distinguishing quality? What marks a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Because a lot of us in this room hopefully would say that I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be a faithful child of God. And that when I reach the end of my life and I'm standing there, he can look at me and he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You fought the good fight. You run the race with endurance. We want to hear those pieces. So what then must we do? What marks the faithful follower of Jesus Christ? So we're going to be looking in the passage today, Mark 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Mark 3, verse 7 through 35. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a brief synopsis, a brief overview of the entire book of Mark, so that when we jump in right here in chapter 3, you understand what's going on. So Mark, written by Mark, is one of the gospels, speaking of Jesus, a very specific way about Jesus. And the words he uses, the stories he includes, even the chronology, the order of events, is all very specific. And here's the purpose. Mark is inviting his listeners, he's inviting his readers to partake on the journey of discipleship with Christ. Jesus will be portrayed as the suffering servant because he is obedient to the will of God. That's Mark's story right there. Jesus is the exemplary, obedient follower of God. And I invite you to join him on this journey of discipleship. So Mark is broken into three parts. And all three of those parts are talking about, this is what a disciple of Christ looks like. This is what it's like to be obedient. In act one, it's the disciple of Christ is the one that understands who Jesus is, that he is the son of God. 
Act two is going to go into, okay, now the disciple accepts the mission of Christ. And act three, now the disciple is the one who is faithful to the end for Christ. So we're going to find our passage today in Mark three in that very first act. That the disciple is the one who understands who Jesus is. That he is the son of God. That he is the Messiah that we are called to follow in obedience to the will of God. So today, as we're looking through this, we're going to talk through three pieces. The first piece is we're going to look at what is the characteristics or the defining mark of the false follower. What then, after that, what marks a faithful follower? I'm going to call him an outsider and an insider. And lastly, I'm going to say, okay, if we want to be insiders who are faithful followers, what must we do? And I do want to clarify before I move forward. When I use these terms, faithful follower or false follower, when I use these terms, insider or outsider, I am not saying it's a person that doesn't have any relationship with God, that does not have eternal life, that will not spend eternal life with God in heaven. What I am saying, based on the story of Mark, remember, invite you in to be on the journey of discipleship. A false follower, an outsider, is someone who has fallen away from walking in obedience, walking this path with Jesus Right? While the insider, the faithful follower, is someone who's obviously on the path of discipleship, going on the right track. So right now, we're going to move into Mark 3. Brief overview, we're going to jump into Mark, 20, Mark 3, 20. But you're going to see right off the bat, in Mark 3, verse 7, you're going to see this great crowd following Jesus. Jesus' popularity, all-time high. Everybody wants to have a piece of the action with Jesus. And specifically, if you look at the words used, Mark is very specific in the language he uses in the Greek. He is showing these crowds are pressing in around Jesus because what they want is to have their problems fixed. They come to Jesus because you have solutions to my problems. So I'm coming to you to get something from you. And if you look, it actually says, he told his disciples, verse nine, to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. I emphasize pressed and crushed because those are very negative words in the Greek. It's showing the people are pressing in on Jesus to get that action from him so much that Jesus has to ask his disciples, get a boat ready because they are endangering my life because they want to get what I have to offer. So the crowd, they want things from Jesus, which then raises the question, Who then in this passage is actually for Jesus and not just getting things from Jesus? Right after this, Jesus is going to go on this mountain and he's going to look out on all these disciples following and he's going to appoint 12 men and he's going to call them apostles. But they're the disciples that he names apostles. And specifically it says he chose them because he desired to be with him and that then he would send them out to preach. So he calls them to be with him and then sent out. And lastly, we're going to get right here in Mark 3, 20, where we're going to start moving through the outsiders and the insiders. Got to in my Greek classes, learning these different cool stories. Well, this part of Mark is the very first, it's called a narrative sandwich. So what Mark is going to do is he's going to start a story. He's going to throw a whole nother story right in the middle of that story. And then he's going to finish off the original story, that sandwich effect. And that is going to illustrate for us What's the distinguishing quality of an outsider, a false follower? What's the distinguishing quality of an insider, a faithful follower? And then, okay, what must we do to be that way? So the first thing we're going to note, team, outsiders. 
an outsider as a, a false follower who rejects Christ's authority. The outsider is the false follower who rejects Christ's authority. If you want to turn with me to Mark 3, verse 20 and 21, and we'll go from there. Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat him and his disciples. And when his family, Jesus' family, heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. You're going to start seeing why I call them the outsiders. At the end of the sandwich, go all the way to Mark 3, verse 31 and 32. It's going to finish that story of Jesus' family. There's that sandwich. It's going to say, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So what we're saying right here is the outsider is the false followers who reject Jesus's authority. Now you might think Jesus's family of all people, they must know, they must be the insiders. They must be the people on the right track, the faithful followers of Christ. And yet Mark's going to use this word out over and over and over again to show they're not, they're not in, they're out. They're not on this path of obedience, understanding who Jesus is. They are rejecting Jesus's authority. And actually interesting, if you look at the words right here, it says, They came and standing outside, they sent, that word sent to him and called him. Those two words, sent and called. The other time we see that in this passage is Jesus' authority selecting apostles. So in this moment, Jesus sends and he calls his apostles. And yet in this moment, we see the outsiders coming and saying, no, I have the authority over you, Jesus. And I get to send and call for you. So right there, they are usurping his authority, a central role in their spirituality. And they're saying, no, you're out of your mind. And in fact, we have authority over you, Jesus. We put you in the box that we want to put you in. So again, Mark uses that language to show Jesus' family is missing the boat right here. They're missing the point that Jesus is central. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He has all authority and you have no authority. And yet they think they have the authority to send and call for Jesus. They are the outsiders who reject Jesus' authority. We're going to also see that inside of the sandwich. So that's Jesus' family. They reject Christ's authority. We're now going to see who's the next character pieces that also reject Jesus' authority. And he shows that again in the sandwich. Look in, verses 20, in verse 22. And it says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demon. Here we go. He casts out the demons. Again, the word out telling us right off the bat. Okay, these people are missing the boat too. In fact, these are the religious elite, the authority. And I know us who have grown up reading scripture, we automatically see scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious elites. And we automatically think bad people, bad guys, like we're obviously going to see them do something wrong. But you have to remember, put it in context, that these were the people that spent their whole lives studying the scriptures and that people came to them for advice on the word of God. I want to be faithful to God. What must I do, scribe? People would come to them for answers and authority. They were the preachers and the pastors and the leaders of the day. And so people coming to them, you might think, okay, the religious leaders, they have to be the insiders, right? They did the right thing. They know the scripture. They spent their whole lives trying to be obedient And yet in this moment, we see, no, they're also outsiders because they reject Jesus' authority as central in their spiritual life. 
they made their lives and their spiritual walk with God about the knowledge they had and about the authority they had over people. And they completely missed the reality that the Messiah who they'd studied all their lives about was standing in front of them and they couldn't even see it. Now, before we throw Jesus' family and the scribes of the day under the bus, here's the hard truth for us. All of us following God every day, trying to be faithful to him, we all at times reject Jesus's authority. We at times make anything else other than Jesus as supreme and important in our spiritual lives. Personal story for me, last year in seminary, I come into seminary, I'm like, man, I want to be full-time ministry. I want to study God's word. I want to be able to preach and teach it and be faithful in what I'm learning. And as I'm going through these classes in Greek and Hebrew and studying sermon classes and going through all these theology pieces, I started to realize my relationship with God is not getting better. I don't feel more connected and more intimate with God. I'm feeling distanced. And at first I was like, I don't, I don't understand why. Like I'm doing all these things for you, God. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to please you. And I'm trying to prepare myself to be faithful in ministry for the rest of my life. What is going on? And what I was doing was exactly what the family and the scribes did at that time. I was rejecting Jesus' authority in my life. I was making something other than Jesus as the most important thing about my journey with the Lord or with God. I was saying what I knew and the grades I had and the relationships I kept, those were most significant. And it wasn't my intimacy and my relationship and connection to Christ who paid it all for me. So maybe it's not grades for you. Maybe it's not uh, achievements in school or ministry work. But there's lots of things that we will put in place of our relationship with God. We will say, man, the most important thing in my relationship with God is how much spiritual disciplines I practice. I read a lot of the Bible and I pray a lot. And I'm actually on a serve team and I'm in a community group and I go to church every Sunday. And sometimes I even maybe go on a trip with some people. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. Like that's what gets me there. And in that moment, we are also showing Well, if that's what you think is getting you your spirituality, you're missing the point. You're rejecting Jesus's authority. So I don't know what it is for you, but anything that is more supreme than Jesus in our lives, we need to get back to the heart of worship. And when you say, no, the reality is Jesus is center. He is central in my spiritual journey. So if we see the crowds and they're coming alongside Jesus and pressing in and almost crushing him because they want things from him. We see Jesus' family who reject his authority, say he's out of his mind. We see the scribes, the religious leaders of the day say, hey, his power comes from Satan. He, all the miracles and stuff he's performing, it's all from the source of, of demonic power. They're missing the point. They're rejecting his authority. It seems like everyone in the story is completely missing the boat. And that is kind of the point of Mark. He's going to constantly show everyone's missing the point. So what are you going to do? Are you going to miss the point? Are you going to miss the most central figure in your relationship with God or not? So the question is, if those are the outsiders, who's on the inside? And that's going to lead to this. The insider is the faithful follower who instead of rejecting Christ's authority, here we go, receives Christ's authority. What does that mean? We're going to see it at the very end of this passage when Jesus is going to answer them. Remember, they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're calling and sending for you. Are you going to go out? And what does Jesus say? No, who who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, 
He said, hear my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So the first thing we see is, what is the defining characteristic of an insider? It's the one that's intimately connected with Jesus. That might be a shocker. You're like, right, yeah, that's, that is really it. Who is intimately connected with Jesus? That is the faithful follower. Again, look at the passage. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him in close proximity. You'll notice all throughout the gospels, Jesus starts speaking in parables, right? And what's the point of parables? Why are you telling stories, Jesus? Why don't you just tell us straight up what you want us to hear? And he says, no, the ones that have ears to hear, hearts to be opened, they're the ones that are going to learn. And what does he mean by that? His disciples who pressed in and got close to him said, Jesus, I don't understand the story. Can you explain it to me? And he said, yeah, let me explain it. It's the ones that were intimately connected with Jesus that got the answers to their questions. And so those who sat around him were intimately connected with Jesus, thus showing they're actually on the inside. They're the faithful followers. And what else does he say? Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother, and then he throws in, and sister, first time you see in the passage, showing that this is all inclusive. Whoever does the will of God, they are a part of the family. First time you see sister and mother. So Jesus says in this moment, you want to be an insider, a faithful follower on this journey of discipleship? Here's the answer. Do the will of God. Do the will of God. Now, if I left you today and said, all right, here's what you need to do, team. You need to do the will of God. Go in peace. I bet a lot of you would be like, that was a waste of my time, right? So broad. What does it mean to do the will of God? We drop those kind of very overarching themes. And so I'm going to define for you today, what does it mean to do the will of God? And he actually, Mark shows us in the passage itself. So what we're going to look at, here's three application points. How do we do the will of God? You're going to grasp, you're going to grow, and you're going to go. You're going to grasp your identity, you're going to grow in your intimacy, and you're going to go forward in faithfulness. Let's break it down. So we're going to look right back, all the way back at 13. Jesus is going to pick his disciples who is going to name apostles. So look at Mark 3, verse 13, and it says this, And Jesus went up on the mountain... And he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. Now, Mark didn't have to put that in there. That's the cool thing about the, the scriptures. When you're reading it, every single thing that's in there is there for a reason. So when you read like a random clause, like those whom he desired, why didn't you say he called him and they came? Instead, no, he called them those whom he desired. Mark's showing us something. Now, if you've ever read the gospels, you're going to see that the apostles are a bunch of screw-ups. Like no one was like, here, if I was first picking the most godly people, they're going to represent my, you know, Christianity for all of time. I'm going to pick, uh, yeah, John. Like he sounds like a good guy. No, no one would do that because they were, they were foolish. And they missed the boat all throughout the scriptures. And yet Jesus in this moment says he looks out on all these disciples, all these people following him, and he selects 12. And he says, those I want because I desire to be with them. So I have an illustration, but I want us to hear this. That if you are here in this room, and if you know the gospel, you know the good news of Jesus, that he literally lived a perfect sinless life that died on a cross to pay for our sins, rose again in victory. If you know those things, if you're here in this church and community, hearing the word regularly, 
Like, I want you to know that God desires you. God loves you. And so it's not what you do, it's not the things that you do, but rather it's simply God desires you. So when I was in high school, I was a gymnast with that long hair and many shirts. I was a gymnast at the time. And my senior year, if you placed top 10 at state championships on any event, you were then able to make national competition and compete for Texas or whatever state that you got in the state championships that year. So for me, I was able to place and I got to go compete at national competition and floor was one of the events that I competed on. And you have to understand in gymnastics, floor is the very first event of the day. So you got all six events with floor and vault and pommel, p-bar, rings, high bar, all these pieces, but floor, they get to go first. So we're at the Alamo Dome. There's thousands of people, big jumbotron, hundreds of athletes. And so floor has to go first. Well, someone has to go first on floor in front of the entire population for national competition. So we draw straws. Don't ask me why we drew straws. It's so weird, but we draw straws. And guess who draws the short stick? This guy right here, right? So I draw that stick and they're like, all right, Pinkerton, you're up first in front of everyone. And no other event started. So all the athletes are sitting in the stands, all the families in the stands. And I go up there and I salute the judges. And as I'm saluting, I look kind of on my hand and I'm saluting, and I look and I see my big mug right on the jumbotron, huge, just zoomed in on my face. And I'm like, literally if I like, I can watch myself. It's kind of weird. And I'm like, okay. This is a, my heart's pounding. Here we go. I compete floor. I go through the whole event. I I think it was the best I'd ever done on floor. I, it was awesome. I get done. I salute. I got a 995 out of 10, right? So it was a good day for me. Now, why do I tell you this? Imagine if in that moment I had said, my dad, who, who always went to all my gymnastics meets, and he supported me all throughout. He was always there. He was on the booster. He even drove the bus at times. Imagine if I saluted, and then I saw my dad in the stands way up there, and I ran up the stands, and I got to my dad, and I said, Dad, I did it. I finally did it. And he would say, awesome. What'd you do? And I said, Dad, I finally made it. I am a Pinkerton. I did it. I'm a Pinkerton, Dad. Now, what, what would my dad say in that moment? Thought about this. Or my dad would probably in that moment be a little hurt. He'd probably be sad, maybe frustrated. He'd sit me down. He'd say, son, I'm proud of you for what you did. You did really good work. You worked really hard. And you accomplished something that was hard to do. But you have to understand something. Nothing you can do, no matter how good or bad you've done it, you can't earn a relationship with me. You don't get the name Pinkerton because of what you do, but because me and my mom, well, my mom brought you into this world. And yet, that's what we do in our relationship with God. We say, God, I I know Jesus is good. Like he's really good. And uh, he's the son of God. and He died for my sins. But I just got to do a little more for you. I got to meet you in the middle. I got to work pretty hard and understand that it's based on what I do. I have to prove myself. I have to defend your honor. I have to do all these things. It's about what I know and how much I serve and all these pieces. And the reality is we see in this, this moment, the apostles had done nothing. And yet Jesus desired them and he selected them. And Jesus also desires you. 
and selects you, not based on your character, not based on your merit, how much you've done, the ministries you've been involved in, none of those pieces. Simply, God loves you. And we need to hear that before we move forward into actions. We need to stop and say, God loves me. God desires me. God, God wanted me. And that should blow your mind. That should make you so joyful to understand the creator of the universe who spoke everything into motion with his words created life, created you because he loves you. And that is mind boggling. And I hope that we don't lose sight of that as we try and move forward and do things for God. So that's grasping your identity, that God loves you, that he paid it all for you. The second piece, grow. Grow in your intimacy with Christ. You'll see that in Mark 3, 14. So he appoints the 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Not, he appointed the 12 so that they do a lot of stuff for him. First and foremost, so that they might be with him. That God desires you, and what does he desire you for? So that you can do lots of things for him? No. God desires you because he wants to be intimate with you. God wants me. God desires intimacy with me. How do you grow in your intimacy with anyone in your life? How do you grow in intimacy with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your friends? your neighbors, you spend time with them. Right? You spell love, T-I-M-E. In this culture, when there's so many things happening and there's so very little time that you have to decide at all times what's most important based on where I put my time. If it's sports, if it's church, if it's family, if it's friends, you have to constantly make sacrifices based on your time. That shows what you care the most about. You love where you put your time in this culture. That's just the reality. So how do you show and grow in your intimacy with the Lord? You got to give him time. In fact, you have to sacrifice things that you care about for hopefully someone you care the most about. Same with your spouse. You have to give up things you care about so that you can spend time with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers. So I encourage you, when we think through, how do I grow in my intimacy with the Lord? I've got to regularly find times in my life, in my daily schedule to be with him. So maybe for you, it's in the car. We're all in the car, right? That opportunity to just spend in quiet versus playing music nonstop. What if you got to just spend time contemplating, thinking about how much God loves you, talking with God, Spending time early in the mornings reading your Bible, getting involved in some way that just gives you that intimate, personal time with the Lord. So if you don't have that, how can we expect to grow in our intimacy with Jesus? So I encourage you to be thinking about that. And the last thing is to go. So you grasp your identity, you grow in your intimacy with Jesus. And lastly, the most natural byproduct, when you're given something so great, you're lavished a gift so amazing, the only natural response with love that is given is then love extended. You take something you've been given and you naturally want to show other people. So it says right here in Mark three fourteen, he appointed the 12, those who he named apostles, so that they might be with him first and then he might send them out to preach. He might send them out to tell people the good news of what they know to be true, of who Jesus is and that he desired intimacy with people. 
Now, there's lots of cool opportunities here at Grace. That was one thing I loved, not just about Grace Bible Church, but when I came to Creekside specifically, and I just saw all the different ways you could get involved. They actually like needed you all the time. And I love that because they're constantly showing like, oh, like there's a place for me here and I can actually get involved and serve. I was talking with Dusty earlier. I was talking with Chris earlier. I was talking with these guys and saying like, what is the most common needs we have here at Grace, specifically Creekside? And the thing that we want you to hear is maybe the next step for you to go in faithfulness is to get involved in community. Because I know there's some people in this room that maybe come here Sunday mornings, hear messages, worship God, go home, back to the grind of normal life. But maybe there's not a lot of opportunities to connect in community. And I know that Grace offers some really cool community groups to do life with other people. So if you're here in this room, I encourage you to think about joining a community group. Maybe talk to Grace Bumgarner, Dusty Davis, anyone on staff and say, hey, I want to get plugged in. And this is my time schedule with the kids and the work and everything else going on. This is what I have to offer, but I want community. And I encourage you, maybe that's your next step. Or maybe your next step is to serve, right? Not just consume, but then go out and extend what you've been given. There's a lot of cool opportunities to create great, uh, Creekside as well. Tear down, build up crews. A lot of different pieces that are going through that you can get involved and serve. Go on a mission trip. Get involved in your community. Invite people to know the good news of Jesus. What is your next step? And if you're here and you're in sports, like who am I surrounded by that I constantly get to just encourage to know God? If you're working, who are my coworkers that God has put in my place right here? I don't have to go out and do all this extra stuff. I'm called to be faithful right here and going forward in faithfulness as letting my coworkers know how much God loves them. Not just with my actions, but also with my words. I have to take that next step and actually let them know. I don't know what that step is for you, but I hope that as we move forward, you can stop and say, okay, I understand God loves me and he desires me for intimacy. What is he calling me towards next? I want to be faithful to Jesus on this road of discipleship. And so Kenny is about to come on up and give us a little, a little song. But during this time, I really encourage you guys to be thinking about how do I grasp my identity? I comprehend it. Then moving forward, growing in my intimacy. And lastly, going forward in faithfulness. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just come to you, God, uh, humbled. God, that you, the creator of the universe, desires us. That you don't just desire us, God, so that we can do stuff for you, but you desire us simply because you love us and you want intimacy with us. And if that doesn't blow our minds, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts because there's something going on to understand, God, that you love us so deeply that you would pay for, for, for it all, God, with Jesus' blood on the cross. So God, I just pray that all of us in this room can stop for a minute. We can stop and think about what does it look like? What have I maybe put in place of Jesus in my life? What has maybe defined me as someone right now who's not following faithfully, but actually falsely on this path of discipleship? What area in my life am I clinging to so hard that it's not allowing me to be faithful and fruitful and to walk with you, Jesus? I pray you would remind us of how much you love us and then allow us to remove those obstacles, those idols in our hearts.
And lastly, God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to spend intimate time with you and then move forward in faithfulness. Let us see what you're calling us to. It's so hard with so many things going on. I just pray, God, that you would give us straight, clear answers. What are you calling us to next in service and faithfulness to the kingdom? God, we love you so much. We thank you that you desire us. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.